You're listening to the Promise Church's Message of the Week. Pastor Aaron shares his message on being in the field of favor. We hope you enjoy this teaching. Well, first of all, if you, uh, if you were part of Hope in the Park, Kalama, this last weekend, we just want to say a big thank you to you. Um, man, I, I'm still, we were just talking about it this morning, I'm still just so blown away by what happened we were able to worship Jesus in the park in Kalama. I don't know if you realize the significance of what happened. We're actually located in Woodland. Did you know that? Like this is Woodland that you're sitting in right now. And we went to Kalama and we worshiped Jesus in Kalama in the park. And um, man, I, I just, the two different times we gathered was just kind of just in the state of shock. Like, God, what a privilege it is to be able to just bless this community. What a privilege it is for just the, the vision you've given this church to, to look beyond itself and to look at Richfield and La Center and Kalama and the surrounding regions to just, to be able to impact them. <laughs> Anybody else agree with that perspective? Are we awake? Why don't you slap your neighbor and say, are you excited about what just happened? Let me say it again. We just were in Kalama in a separate city from that we were in, and we were able to hold church in Kalama. I don't know about you, but if we want to adopt a culture where we, where we disciple cities, where we see whole and cities saved, like this is what it talks about in Acts, that entire cities heard the gospel. An entire city. If we expect to do that, we have to think beyond a Sunday morning gathering. I am floored at the fact that we get to gather in a city. We did it in Woodland earlier this year, but we just get to stand and lift our hands and glorify the name of Jesus. And I believe that we begin to seed an atmosphere in a city that's going to begin to experience revival and get to begin to experience the move of God. And it begins with things just like what we did this last weekend. So if you came and participated, thank you so much. Thank you for serving. Um, we saw many people impacted by God. Also, if you've been giving to the 33rd Company, which was a nonprofit, my wife and I with Chris, we started. We actually held our first event in L.A. this weekend and saw God do some amazing things. Many, many, many people got saved and healed. And we're going to have more stories about that. But, man, God is moving. It's been an amazing weekend. Don't you just love Jesus? Somebody here just love Jesus. I'll tell you, I'm learning more and more that I love activity, and I love doing church, and I love services, and I love hope in the parks, but I just love Jesus. This whole thing is simply about Jesus, and if you've been in church for longer than six months, it's easy for you to become focused on activity to think that I just need to do the things that are required of me, and we easily forget that it's simply about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about listening to his voice, being with him, worshiping him, sitting at his feet, communing with him. That's what this whole thing is all about. And I think oftentimes we get confused of what the foundation of Christianity is about because church, church, we do a poor job of pointing the picture at duties and rules and obligations, and sometimes we don't paint the picture and paint the focus right back at Jesus. It's all about him. If you look at all of Scripture, you will find one common thread, that it's about a father who's desperately in love with his children. Amen. 
I will say it again for you in case you didn't hear that. The whole scripture is about a father who desperately loves his children. And he's looking and waiting for his children, for you and for me, to say nothing else matters except simply being with you. Simply coming and surrendering my life to you, you can have it all. And I think sometimes we say things like, well, I'm surrendered to the Lord. Maybe many of you in this room would say, I- I'm surrendered. If he asked you for every evening of your life, would you give it to him? What if he asked you for every morning? Wake up at 4 a.m. What if he asked you for your house? What if he asked you for your business? I'm not saying he is, but what if he did? Would you give it to him? What if he asked you for your career? You got to ask yourself that question. That's what surrender looks like. Surrender looks like nothing else comes before him. His words, his heart have priority in my life. I've shared this before. A few years back, God asked me for my business. Last year, God asked me for my house. Surrender. God, you can have it all. It's painful. But it's the most rewarding thing you can ever do. Father, will I actually surrender everything to you? Being a disciple of Jesus looks like this. Leaving everything behind and following him. Right? It does not say go into all the world and make converts. It says, go into all the world and make disciples, which is what you and I are. We are disciples. And disciples look like turning from what once was and simply following. He said, leave everything behind. Leave your job. Leave your family. Leave your money. Leave your hobbies. Leave it all behind. Just follow me. He's that good. He's that good. And I believe that the Lord is inviting us as a church into a new level of surrender. Well, our church services may look different. We might just worship the whole time. Where our lives maybe look different. Where our priorities change. Where our schedules change. Where our money changes. And I believe that God is inviting many of you to say, will you actually surrender everything to me? Will you come and sit at my feet and desire nothing else? Michael Koulionis, which maybe many of you don't know him, but he, he's a guy that many of us look up to here. And he made this statement. He said, a way to measure your true love for Jesus is by seeing how you choose your spare time. How you choose your spare time is often a reflection of how much you truly love Jesus. Billy Graham says, I can know your love for God by looking at your calendar and your checkbook. Your free time is often a reflection of your heart and passion for Jesus. That can sound very legalistic. It's not meant to. It's meant because it comes from love. My wife and I are madly in love with each other. I don't want to spend time with anybody else. I just want to be with her because I'm in love with her. The same is true with Jesus. I'm madly in love with Jesus. I just want to spend I asked my son the other day. He's seven years old. And I went to him. I said, is, is there anything that I could do better as a father? I encourage some of you parents to ask your kids that. You might be surprised what they have to say. I said, is, is there, tell me, man, do you think I, how how am I doing? I'm trying really hard. How am I doing as a dad? And we talked about a few different things, and I said, is, do you know how much I love Jesus? And he's like, yeah, you love Jesus more than me. And I said, you better believe it, I do. I love him a lot more than you, and you want to know why? Because it allows me to love you the way that I do. Because I love him so much, 
I love him more than your mom, Israel. I love him more than your sisters. I love Jesus more than anything. He has my whole heart. That is a picture of what surrender looks like to say nothing else compares to simply being with Jesus. And oftentimes people are like, why is your worship services, why are they so long at church and the ministry time afterwards, why does it take so long? It's because I've never seen a great sermon save somebody. I've never seen a three-point message cause somebody to be healed. Only Jesus. It's only Him. And we want to create an environment here at the Promised Church where God can do what He wants to do, where He can move about the cabin freely. He can man the plane. And maybe some of you all need to fasten your seatbelts because He might take the plane in places that we're not used to. I'm one of those people when they like, when you're on a plane and they say, fasten your seatbelts, it's like, that's the moment I have to go to the bathroom. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Like, don't, you don't got to go bathroom any other time in the plane. As soon as the fastest seatbelt signs, I'm like, shoot. And then I'm one of those guys when it like stays on too long. I'm like, we've been at 10,000 feet for a while. I think they just forgot to turn it off. So I just get up and go. Even when the, seat, the, the sign is still on and they're like, get back. I'm like, I, you, that was intentional. In Matthew 10, it talks about how, let me read it for you. It says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You cannot follow Jesus without dying. I don't want to preach another message. This is the only message that we have as a church, which is surrender your life, and when you finally surrender it and lose it, you will find Jesus. That is the gospel. You want to find your life? How do I have a better marriage? Go to Jesus. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? Go to Jesus. How do I get my kids to do? Go to Jesus. He is the answer to everything. It is only Jesus. It will only ever be Jesus. Surrender. Die. It's a beautiful picture. Carry your cross. If you will not carry your cross and follow him, you cannot find him. You can't find him. And your cross is not for you to carry. Not for a good workout. Although we want to have healthy lives like Brad wants. And so you can die on the cross. And this morning, I want to, I felt like God gave me a word specifically for this morning. I was telling my brother, I kind of fought it because I just want to preach on dying. <laughs> but he gave me this, but you can't understand what I want to share with you if you haven't first surrendered your life. If you haven't first said, God, I will choose to only give my attention my time, my focus to you, you won't understand what I want to talk to you about. It all begins with surrendering. I feel like the Lord wanted me to share with you how, the answer to this question, how do I know that I'm doing what God wants me to do? How do I know I'm in the will of the Lord? How do I know what he's wanting me to do right now? That's what I'm doing. I'm in this place, and should I make this decision? Should I go that route? Should I buy this? Should I marry that person? How do I know? Does anybody ask that question? Am I, am I the, is anybody asking that question right now? Let me, let me tell you this. You should be asking yourself that question if you're not. It's not a bad question. But it all begins with surrender. It all begins with dying to self and saying, Father, I'll choose you. I remember when five years ago when we became pastors here, I was 26 years old. That is a question I ask myself every day. God, am I actually doing what you want me to do because I felt unqualified? I was like, God, you got the wrong guy. This isn't for me. It should be somebody else. And I remember it took a couple of years for me to finally realize, God, this is what you called me to do. I'm going to stop questioning it, and I'm going to start walking in it. But that question of 
God, how do I know what I'm supposed to be doing right now? How do I know that I should be in this career? How do I know what you've called me to do? For I think if we're being honest, probably most of us in this room are asking that question in some shape or fashion. And oftentimes what happens is we create, and we all know people who do this if we won't admit it ourselves, but we know people who like put earmuffs on when we're in those seasons where we're wondering what God has called us to do and we just don't want to hear what anybody has to say. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like that person who's like, I wonder if I should be doing this or not. And they're like, I wonder if I should quit my job. And so what they do is they go ask the, the, the unemployed person if they should quit their job. And the unemployed person says, yeah. You don't, you don't need to work there. You should quit your job. And then they come back to you and they're like, yeah, come on. Why, why did you quit your job? Well, because I felt like I was, why? Well, that person, well, that person's unemployed. That's the wrong person to go ask. And so when we're trying to figure out what we should do with our lives, generally we go to the people who are going to tell us what we want to hear. Those are the best people to tell you when all you care about is what feels right, what you want to do, what I want. There's my wife. Let's all welcome my wife. It's only 10, 12, baby. You're good. Better late than never, I always say. <laughs> it's a good message. You're going to want to hear this one. <laughs> oh, I don't know what I was saying. Let's just read a scripture. It's always good to go back to that. In Isaiah 30, Isaiah 30, it says this. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, the ones who hear the Lord, give us no more visions of what is right. Just tell us pleasant things and prophesy illusions and fantasies. Leave this way, get off this path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. This is what so many of us do is we, we're like, I don't want to hear anything you have to say if it contradicts what, what I feel like I'm supposed to do. And so we bury our head in the sand and we go to people who only tell us what we want to hear when we really need to go to the ones who might challenge us, who might confront us, who might convict us. We need to go to those people. But all we want is just tell us illusions. Tell us it's all going to be fine. Just tell us a fantasy that my life's going to turn out. That's what many of us do. And we're like, I don't want to hear what my pastor has to say. I don't want to hear what the person who's discipling me has to say. I don't want to hear what my parents have to say. I don't want to hear what that person has to say because I know that they're probably just going to challenge me. I just want to do what I want to do because it's easier that way. And oftentimes we're like, God, can't you just tell me what's at the end of the rainbow? Like, God, am I actually going to get married? Wouldn't it be nice if we all knew how our life was going to turn out? God, is this decision really going to work? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? I remember back when I was in college, and I think it was in statistics, which is the course from hell. It's terrible. And I remember I, there was a word problem that I couldn't figure out. And I went to my professor and I said, hey, man, can you give me the answer to this problem so I know what I did wrong? And he said, no. I said, no, I, I need the answer because then I'll understand where I went wrong. And he's like, I'm not going to give you the answer. You need to refigure it out. And I was like, you don't understand. I don't know what I did wrong. And he's like, I can't tell you the answer because if I tell you the answer, you won't understand the process. The process is actually more important than the destination. And for many of us, we only focus on the answer. God, can you just tell me, is it all going to be okay? And he's like, no, I won't. Because the process is more important than the destination. The stuff you will learn as you go through the trials, as you go through the challenges of life, those are the things that teach you and train you so when you get to the destination, it doesn't destroy you. 
the processes, the pain, the struggles, the agonies that you feel like is this ever going to end? That's the Lord assisting your development. He's preparing you. And oftentimes I feel like the Lord delays things. It's the kindness of God that delays things so that you can learn things you couldn't have learned another way. In fact, as I was writing that down, I went to my wife that evening. I said, you'll never believe what I just wrote down. And that I was living in that moment this last week. God was delaying something in my life and I was crying out to the Lord like, God, come on, breakthrough. And then as soon as I wrote it down, he said, that's why I've been delaying it. And I'm like, that sucks. Why? I hate that. I'm preaching to myself right now. Sometimes the Lord delays things so he can teach you things you couldn't have learned another way. And so this morning, I wanted to give you four, four points of how do you know that you're doing what God has asked you to do? How do you know? How do you know that you're right where you're supposed to be? Because at the end of the day, first of all, it's not valuing those things more than him. And you might be saying, well, Aaron, it almost seems like none of those things matter. Maybe God doesn't care about any of those things. All I'm supposed to be is just at his feet. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the th thoughts that I have towards you, plans to prosper you and to give you hope. God wants to bless you. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and then all of these things will be added to you. But seek first. It starts with seek first. But God, what am I supposed to do? Seek first. But should I be doing that? But seek first is where it begins. So the first, the first point is this, is that you must surrender. We've just talked about it. The second one is obedience. Am I in obedience to the Lord? Has God asked me to do something that I am not doing? Sometimes I'll sit with my wife and I'm like, babe, I just feel like I'm not doing anything productive in my life right now. I feel like I need to do more things. And she, after she slaps me, she's like, how are you? Has God asked you to do something you're not doing? I'm like, no. Then you're fine. Is, am, I in a, am I in disobedience to the Lord right now? Has he put something, has he asked me to do something that I'm not doing? The only way to know what God has asked you to do is to surrender. It's to be with him. It's to listen to his voice. Praying does not look like this. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want? It looks like this. I listen so I can hear his voice, so I can be in obedience. The third one is this. It's what's on your heart, but what's on your surrendered heart? Has God put something on your heart to do? So the the, sec the first one is surrender. The second one is obedience. Am I in obedience to the Lord? The third one is what's on my heart? Has God put something on my heart to do and am I doing it? On my surrendered heart, the worst thing that you can do is if your heart's not surrendered, ask yourself what's on my heart to do? Because what's on your heart at that point will be all about you and it won't be about him. So it's what's on your surrendered heart. And the fourth one that I want to focus on this morning is, is there favor? Is there favor on what I'm doing right now? And I want to I talk to you about this with the story of Ruth. So if you just grab your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 2. And in Ruth, we, we see this amazing story about a woman who actually, it's only two out of all the books of the Bible are named after a woman. And Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. And she's an amazing woman who's a picture of loyalty and honor and humility. And we learn a lot from her, but it all begins actually with her mother-in-law, whose name is Naomi. And Naomi's husband is, I've gone blank, Elimelech, thank you. And Elimelech and Naomi are in Bethlehem. And there's a famine that comes, and so they are forced to leave and to go to Moab, the land of Moab. And they take their two sons, Ruth, or Naomi, Elimelech, and their two sons, they go to Moab. While they're there, Elimelech dies. The father dies. 
And then the two sons married two Moabite women. And then after some time, Naomi's two sons die. So all that's left is Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. Naomi hears that the, that the land in, in Bethlehem is, doesn't have famine anymore, that God's blessing the land. So she gathers up the daughters, daughter-in-laws and she says, you guys stay here. Go back to your land, remarry, don't come with me because it's gonna be harder for you if you come with me. So they, they then have to make a decision and one of the daughter-in-laws chooses to go back to Moab. Ruth, though, says to Naomi, no, I'm gonna go with you. And one of the famous lines in all of scriptures, she says, uh, your land will be my land, your God will be my God. Uh, wherever you go, I will go. That's Aaron's paraphrase version. <laughs> and Ruth follows her to go to back to Bethlehem with Naomi. And when they get there, they, they end up encountering this man named Boaz. But I want to read this for you because I feel like it helps depict knowing what season we're in. Knowing whether we know what, what we're doing is what God wants us to do or what we, or if we should be doing something else. Because if you're in the wrong season, it's not only painful for you, but it's challenging for everybody around you. Like this next week, it's going to be 90 degrees. It's like summer just realized that it was summer. And if you saw somebody walk around and they had a North Face jacket on, snow pants, a beanie, and rain boots on, you'd be like, bro, you're in the wrong season. That's not the right, it, it is 90 degrees. Get a, a swimsuit on and a tank top. This is what many people look like, even in this church. You're in a wrong season and you don't even know it. And you're acting like it's winter time when it's really summer. How do you know what season? Is this the season of harvest? Is it a season of sowing? Is it a season of, of giving? Is it a season of surrendering? Is it a season of plowing? Is it a season of running hard? Is it a season of sitting still? How do you know? How do you know what you're supposed to be doing right now? Anybody have that question? Five hands. I'm speaking to the five of you today. So in Ruth chapter 2. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth was Moabite. The Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does this young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And she came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here, but stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about you, what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for whatever you have done. 
and may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she says. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. Though I did not have the standing of one of your servants, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. It's what everybody says on their first date. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar, baby. When she sat down, if you didn't know, Boaz married her eventually. That's the conclusion of the story. But when she sat down with the harvesters, he'd offered her some roasted grain. She, she ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. So how do we know that we're where we're supposed to be? Right, it starts with surrender, obedience to my obedience to the Lord. What has God put on my heart? And then is there favor? And here's Ruth saying, I'm gonna go look for favor. That's how I know I will be where I'm supposed to be. If I find favor, that will be my indicator. Anybody remember driving to a place they didn't know how to get before cell phones? Anybody remember doing that? Remember MapQuest? Oh dear Lord, it was my best friend. I don't know street names. So when all y'all are trying to tell me directions to your house and you're like, go on 178th and turn on 99th and then go past the 4th Street and then turn on this, I'm like, is there a Fred Myers nearby? How about a high school? Is there a large tree? Give me a landmark. I need visualization here, people. Don't give me lists. Like, help me understand what you're saying because I don't get it. That's why MapQuest was amazing because it would print out the directions, but then I could print out maps. And I'd print out like seven or eight maps every time I went somewhere just in case I took a detour and I needed to know how to get back on track. Well, every so often we'd be going somewhere. I remember a couple times we'd like take long trips and we would detour because we would need to go eat or go to the bathroom. And all of a sudden I'm off my map. I don't know where I'm at and how to get back again. And then you're in that mode where you're like, I'm just waiting to see a sign that tells me I'm in the right spot. Just give me a sign. Just, is there a freeway coming up? Anything. And this is Ruth. She's here right now saying, I'm looking for a sign called favor. I'm looking for something to indicate I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And so she realizes there's the favor here. I'm going to stay. This is where God wants me to be. Now, the interesting part about this story is it talks about how she works from morning until night. See, when you find the place that God has asked you to be, you got to work your butt off still. We think that when we finally attain where we're supposed to be, that means that it gets easy. I was telling somebody this morning, following Jesus is harder than you think, but it is better than you think. It is not all of a sudden easy. It takes, it takes faith, right? God asks you to do something. You step into it. Faith all of a sudden wasn't just needed back there. It's really needed right here because you're going to be asked to do something you couldn't possibly do on your own. And oftentimes we get into this place where we're like, surely that can't be where I'm supposed to go because it's not easy. It's too difficult. Let's look at Joseph's life. Joseph gets a dream. All of a sudden, he gets sold into slavery. Was that not the dream from the Lord? 
that that was that not what God wanted me to do he gets put into Potiphar's house all of a sudden there's favor on him in Potiphar's house he rises up he's over the whole house then he gets thrown into prison was that not the the word of the Lord all of a sudden there's favor on him in prison he begins to have favor with the guards favor with the other jailmates that was not an easy journey to get to where he needed to be the vision that God had given him took time and finally he found himself second in command only to Pharaoh but that was a strenuous challenging difficult process let's talk about your kids right a kid is a challenging child how many parents know that it doesn't happen like this soon as you start wanting your child to act differently it's a sometimes a slow, painful process, interceding, having speed bumps, having challenges until finally they get to the space where they're finally willing to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Sometimes these journeys of waiting for the, the end result, waiting for the final destination, it's not always smooth and easy, but there's a difference between ease and easiness. Following the Lord is not easy. We just talked about it requires death. But there is an ease to it. Doors that shouldn't be opened become open. Opportunities you shouldn't have had, all of a sudden you find. But through the journey, there are difficulties and challenges that if you're not prepared for and you haven't realized the favor around you, you'll question yourself and run back the other way. Let the favor indicate that you're right where you're supposed to be but not prevent you from realizing you've still got to work hard. Amen. <laughs> I love this because oftentimes we don't notice the favor that we find. Like, have you ever talked to somebody like, I just, I just don't know whether I should be doing this or not, and they tell you all the reasons why, or all, all the pros, and you're like, man, how do you not see that that's exactly what God wants you to do? I remember I was just talking to somebody recently who was wondering whether they should buy a, buy a lot to build a house on. And they came just to be like, man, what do you think, should we do this? And they started listing off all these things. Well, it's at this amazing price compared to all the other lots. It's in the perfect location right where I want to be. I, we love it. All these other marks of favor on the journey. And I'm like, you need to do it. There's so much favor on this right now. You need to make the decision and do it. Oftentimes, we don't even notice the, the favor in the field that we're in. We sit there questioning, should I be here? I think I should go there. I think, I don't know what I should do, but I, I just need to go do something. It's like, you're right in the field of favor. Stop looking anywhere else. And we're, sometimes it's so difficult for us to recognize that God has planted us somewhere, and all we do is we look over the other fence. Boaz says to, says to Ruth, he says, don't go anywhere else. Stay here and never leave. This is your field. Oftentimes we're looking at another field and saying, man, the grass is a lot greener over there. I really wish I was, I wish I, I really wish I had that job. I don't like this job. I really wish I had that one. I really wish I was in that situation. I really wish this was part of my life. And the whole time we spend all of our lives looking at somebody else's field rather than recognizing that right where I'm planted is right where I need to be. We discount the favor in our lives because we're so focused on wishing we were somewhere else. I wish my friends were that way. I wish my church was that. I wish my family was that. I wish my job was that. Rather than recognizing that the favor of God is on us. And we need to realize that this is right where God has placed us. And what, so often what we do is we spend so much time 
praying and asking God, God, where do you, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And then when he finally places us there, we think, now I'm good. Like, anybody remember like buying a new pair of shoes? And the first time you wear your new pair of shoes, you wear it like only indoors. And then, and then you won't wear it to the muddy houses when you visit them. And you only wear it when it's nice outside. But then after like a couple months, you stop carrying in those brand new shoes, become your everyday shoes. Like this is what we do with the calling of God on our lives. When we first get it, we're like, oh, this is so precious. We'll even post about it on Instagram. And then after a couple months, we realize it's, it's just, it's no big deal. It's just a normal feel. And we start discrediting the favor and the word of the Lord in our lives rather than recognizing the favor has not moved. The favor is still there. God has not asked me to do something. I'm not walking in disobedience to the Lord. This is where God has placed me. See, favor is not just an indicator, but it's something you're to grow in. The Bible says that Jesus grew in favor with God and with man. You are called to grow in favor. How do you grow in favor? By stewarding the favor that you have. How do you grow in your finances? By stewarding the finances that you, that you have. How do you grow and become a better employee? By stewarding the role you have. I have people that work for me and sometimes they'll come to me and they'll be like, I just can't wait till I do that. I'm just, you know, I'm here just for that promotion. I'm like, you aren't gonna get it until you do a great job right where you're planted. If all you're doing is looking ahead and never stewarding well what you've been entrusted into, you won't be promoted. And oftentimes we have ourselves in a field a favor, and all we're doing is looking at the next one, wishing I was over there, wishing I had that job, wishing I had that opportunity. And I don't know why God asked me to preach this message today. I didn't, I struggled with wanting to preach. I didn't want to preach this message today. You're welcome. It's just as challenging for me as well. And I, I just really felt like the Lord said, no, I, I have, there's people here who are wondering, which route do I go? How do I know I'm doing what God wants me to do? And it can be a debilitating place. Y'all know the phrase paralysis by analysis, right? You got so many options to choose from, so you do nothing. And if I'm being very blunt, there's many in this room who I know, I've talked to you, are in that situation. So many options. I could go here, I could go there, I could do this, I could make that decision. I could say yes to this or yes to that or yes to this. How do I know? How do you know? You gotta first surrender. Have I given myself to the Lord? And I've gotta ask myself, am I walking in obedience to him? Am I doing what he's put on my heart? And then is there favor around me? Is there favor on what I'm doing right now? And if there is, I'm gonna jump into it with all I have. I'm not gonna question it. Let faith be an indicator for you that where God has planted you, where he's placed you, is right where you need to be. This doesn't just involve geographical decisions. Let's talk about it with parenting, with marriage, with finances. Is there favor on decisions that we're, we're doing as a couple? We need to make changes in our lives. Are we noticing that God is blessing it? Are we noticing that there's breakthrough when we do it? Are we walking in disobedience to the Lord and how we're raising our children? Are we being lazy? What does he put on our heart? Something he put on my heart recently with, with my kids is that I would begin to share my testimonies with them. That my testimony, I would stop lecturing them on what to do. Don't do this. I'd start telling them, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you all the things that parents want to hide from their kids. I'm going to tell my kids. Learn from my mistake and learn how God 
came and changed my life. What's God put on your heart? And then is there favor? Why don't you stand with me? I just want to pray over you this morning that for those of you here today who are in a place of quandary, in a place of wondering, and if you're here and you're like, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing, and you kind of checked out over the last 30 minutes, great. Maybe there's five of you here today, and you're wondering, you're sitting there saying, how do I know what I'm supposed to be doing right now? First of all, I can tell you this. It's not going to be easy. I promise you, it will not be easy. And that's a good thing. For me, I have a desire to see the world impacted by my life. I want to see cities saved. I want to see my family be the strongest family you all have ever seen. That's not easy. If the things that you want to do seem easy, you're probably thinking too small. Okay? If what you want to accomplish in life seems too easy, you're thinking too small. Difficulty is not a sign that God is not with you. Difficulty is not a sign that you should be doing something else. At the same time, you have to hear the voice of God. You have to be surrendered. What should you be doing? So this morning, I just want to pray over you. If you're in that situation today where you're saying, what should I be doing? I just, I believe that God's going to bring some clarity this morning. So Lord, we just ask that everybody in this room, everybody who's in a place of saying, God, where do you want me? What should I be doing in this season of my life? God, how do I know what season I'm in? God, I ask that you bring clarity to them and you would bring the boldness to walk in obedience, the boldness to do what you've placed on their heart, the boldness to notice the favor and say, okay, God, this is where you've placed me. I'm not gonna be envious of that field or wish I was over there. I'm gonna be satisfied, low right where you've placed me and I'm gonna steward this well. God, that we would be people that grow in favor, people that... Father, grow and steward the, 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 the favor well that you've placed us in. And God, anybody in this room who's just been plugging their ears to say, I don't want to hear what that person has to say. I don't want to hear, God, what you're even saying right now. I just, I'm just going to kind of, just tell me fantasies. Tell me great illusions, Lord, about, about how amazing it's just going to be. I just want to, I just want to, tell me a great story. God, I ask that they would just unplug their ears, that they would go to the people that they respect and believe in, that they would begin to ask for wisdom for their life. God, that we would be a people that come under, that we would be a people that submit, not just to the Lord, but to people in our lives that we can, that we can have help lead us. God, that we would be a people that grow in favor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.